Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories. Um, today is episode three, and in this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and visit with my dad, Todd Phillips, about how he got involved in ranching and how he got to where he is today. I hope you enjoy. So my first question is, I guess it's not really a question, but I just wanted you to tell us a little bit about your childhood and the things that made you decide that you wanted to be a rancher growing up. Um, my dad just always had horses and he always had a few cows around. And so I guess in a way I always thought I was a cowboy just because we were around horses and cows and, and, um, anyway, what was the question? What were the, <laughs> the things that made you decide you wanted to be a rancher? Um, well... There's a difference between being a rancher and a cowboy. And when I was little, I always wanted to be a cowboy. I always wanted to be on a horse and around cows and doing that. I did it every every chance I got with friends or with whoever would let me go. Or um, just always wanted to do it. I don't ever remember a time that I didn't want to do that. And then as far as being a rancher, um, I got to be a rancher when, when your grandpa died and I had, you know, when I took this place over and that's when I started doing a lot more ranching and a lot less cowboying. (laughs) (laughs) And... Can you define the difference? Well, I went to Nevada when I was 18, and I was on the cowboy crew, and that's all we did. I got a new horse put in my string every morning for the first five days I was there. Um, I had eight or nine in my string when I left, and it was strictly riding. I mean... You seen a hole in the fence, you told the ranch crew and they went and fixed it. If you went to a windmill that wasn't working, you told the boss and he got somebody else to fix it. It was strictly, strictly horseback. And to me, that's, you know, that's a cowboy. That's a cowboy job is, you know, strictly horseback. And nowadays you kind of have to be a little bit of everything. You have to be a you have to be a cowboy and you got to be able to fix fence and you might have to feed some hay and do whatever but I mean back then there was a lot of just strictly cowboy riding jobs that's the difference if you're a rancher you do a little bit of everything you're you're kind of the vet you're the you just do whatever needs to be done you fix the fence I mean nowadays we have to put up a little hay um so to me, that that's the difference. A cowboy, you're on horse taking care of cows. So was Nevada the first place that you would say you worked as a cowboy? Or was there a time before that? So when we moved to Kanab, there's a lot of little ranches around there. And got to be friends with some of the guys that had them. And, and how old were you when you moved there? I was 15. 
And up up until that point, I mean, we my dad had always had horses, so we'd rode we we rode horses hunting deer, um, helped a few people move some cows, but I had I had very little experience with cows, like hardly any. But I mean, I could ride a horse, kinda. <laughs> but when I got down there, we got around some people that had some little ranches and some guys that worked for for some ranches around there and and I got I got to go help quite a bit on the weekends and and so I got a little taste of it there and between my junior and senior year I went to the north rim of the Grand Canyon to work on the trail rides and there was a guy there and his first name was Jack, but I can't remember his last name, but he, he had been all over in Nevada, worked on a lot of ranches, and he told me how to go about getting a job out there. So I, when I got back home that fall, I went back to school, and halfway through my senior year, I, I, ha I needed a half a credit of math to graduate. So I talked to the principal and the people at school and they said I could finish that that um, half a credit of math through the mail so I called out to it was job service in Elko Nevada was where Jack told me to call so I called them they knew of a ranch that needed somebody they'd had just had a guy quit and so I called the guy and he said well I can't hire you over the phone but bring your stuff and be here Sunday. <laughs> and when did you call? What day of the week did you call him? I think it was it was midweek. And I got out to I got to Battle Mountain, Nevada on the 21st of January, Super Bowl Sunday. So, that's when I went to work for the TS and that, and that that was the first full-time cowboy job that I had. Hmm. got a new horse every morning for the first five days and they said you need to shoe them i'd never put shoes on a horse before so i the ones that needed shoes i put them on and usually i'd put them on again that night and <laughs> go to catch them three or four days later and usually put two or three more on <laughs> but, so I, I learned how to shoe pretty quick I don't know if I made, learned how to do it right, but I learned how to make them stay on. <laughs> Who were some of the guys that you learned from out there the most? Uh, the cow boss was Pete Chavez, little little Mexican guy, really nice guy. Um, me and him got along really good. Um, really liked him and then some of the guys that I really looked up to were um, a guy named Greg Snow um, another one was Dave Best uh, Terry Gibb um, Eric Wanman and I worked with a with a an Hawaii Indian and his name was um, his name oh shoot I'll think of it in a minute. Um, anyway, I worked with quite a few guys and really got along pretty good with, with all of them and learned a lot from all of them because I was, I was really green. So, I mean, I could pretty much learn from anybody at that point. Who, what do you think you learned the most while you were out there? Is there one particular thing or did you... No, I don't think it was one particular thing. I I think it, I just learned about the whole the whole process and about you know how to how to handle cattle on a horse and and I could already rope. I had roped a little bit in Canab, so I you know I got to where I roped better, but um, just more better horsemanship and just how to how to handle cattle and out there i mean it was eight thousand head we calved 1500 heifers that winter so a lot of what i learned was where to be 
when you're trailing a big bunch of cattle or working a big bunch of cattle is just where to be and and how to work with the crew and, and I mean they, it was good they <clears throat> they were good hands I mean buckaroo type of guys but not the real fancy horsehair everything spade bit <laughs> everything I mean they were they were just cowboys like a lot of the other guys I've been around they just rode a slick fork saddle and used a long rope and a lot of them knew how to use them really well so um learned a lot i was i wasn't there i was only there for oh about 10 months i guess i went through a a spring and then most of the fall when you think about your time spent in nevada is there one particular memory that comes to mind or did did anything interesting happen while you were out there or <laughs> i mean everybody likes a good wreck story or <laughs> anything like that mm. you know i can't really i can't really think of any really um bad wrecks i when we were calving heifers out there we'd take turns calving at night and uh there was a guy by the name of Dave Thompson, and he had a kid named TJ. And Dave was having trouble with a heifer one night, so he called from the from the feed yard where we cabbed. It was about 10 miles to headquarters, and he there was a phone there, and he called his wife and had TJ come out to help him. And Anyway, TJ was on a horse, and Dave was in the pickup with a spotlight, and TJ ended up roping this heifer, and nobody really knew what happened he got out of the spotlight and got wrapped up somehow and anyway ended up with i know i, I remember he had a broken arm and i think a broken leg because he was in a wheelchair but Gosh. i didn't witness it but it it must have been a really bad wreck in the dark that night so i don't think i don't know if he knows what happened um worked with another guy Terry Gibb, he, you know, we, we trailed a lot of cattle. So a lot of times somebody on the back would get bored and they'd catch something. And <laughs> we were trailing some cattle one day, kind of through some rolling hills. And, uh, and Terry had this hat that when he got going fast, the front of it would curl up. <laughs> and, uh, he had a little horse and it was a personal horse that he called Coolback. And, and, I was out on the side of this bunch of cows and we were trailing them down through there and I heard somebody holler and I looked back and Terry had this cow roped and she was just running pretty pretty hard, about as hard as she could run. And he had a <laughs> four or five dallies and that horse couldn't even start to slow her down. And he he was yelling, <laughs> somebody get a rope on her. And I'll just never forget, he, he had a suit coat on. Um, those guys, a lot of them guys would wear, you know, they'd go to the DI and buy an old, suit coat and that's what they wore i remember that old suit coat was unbuttoned and it was flapping behind him and his hat was turned up and <laughs> <laughs> that cow was taking old cool back down through the country <laughs> it was pretty funny mm. but, um so how did how did you get to where you are today now <laughs> running what you have well so I left I left Nevada and I and I come and I come back to Utah with full intentions of going back. I I loved it. I loved it, but I didn't really want to spend another winter out there. It was I had kind of frostbitten my toes. I wasn't really pre prepared for the cold when I went out there and I didn't really want to spend another winter. So I was just going to going to come home and and uh do some stuff at home for the winter and go back in the spring and that would have been so that would have been in 19 probably 90 <clears throat> so i got home and got listening to everybody that thought i probably ought to go to school so that um it would have been the it would have been the probably the fall of 
90 or 91, probably 91, I, I decided to go to school. I went to two years of diesel mechanics and worked for my grandpa on the side and when I wasn't in school. and But just always in the back of my mind thought I'd get back out there. And in the meantime, my dad and grandpa bought this place in Escalante. And my dad wanted me to come to work for him, so I did. And that was the that was the fall of '92. We come down here to look at the place and helped him gather the cattle. Um, helped him get part of them on the desert just so we could look around at the country. And they ended up buying it. And I've been here ever since, except for the summer of '90. I believe it was '97. I, I. Uh, Went and built some fence and then worked for another outfit for, I was gone for, I think I was gone from about August of 97 to about May of 98. Other than that, I've been right here ever since. And who, there, did, who did they buy it from? Bought it from a guy by the name of Jay Bowman and he, he was out of California had sold a business, if I remember right, and had a lot of money. Wanted to buy a ranch, and I think once they got here and started running it, it wasn't quite <laughs> all they thought it was cracked up to be. So they they were actually, the guy that they had bought it from was starting to foreclose on them. So. And do you know who he bought it from? He bought it from a guy by the name of uh, Howard Davidson. Howard's the one that ended up financing dad and ended up having a pretty good relationship with him and he just died just a few months ago and, but we got along with him really good. I paid him off right after dad died. Um, what well, was so appealing to Grandpa Phillips and Grandpa Lane I guess when they came to look at it? Well, I think my dad was always was like me. He was just always wanted to be around a horse, wanted horses, wanted to be around cows, but you know it it takes money to do some of the things you want to do, and so I think he just when he got out of high school, he just went to work and then he, and uh you know just always had some horses and he actually bought a little ranch when I was probably eight or ten years old but it was back in the 70s and it was oh shoot it was probably a hundred miles away from where they lived and he'd have to drive down and and pump water a couple times a week but grandpa Wayne. yeah and back then gas was pretty cheap like 25 cents a gallon so we could afford to drive down there and pump water but um I think gas went high and then interest rates went way high and they had some stuff financed on a variable interest rate and it went interest went to like 20% and they so they ended up selling that place they couldn't afford to keep it um so I I just think my dad deep down always always wanted to do this too always wanted to be a rancher just always wanted to be around horses and cattle and my dad had had a little bad, a little bit of bad luck in his life. He'd had a, you know, got divorced, and then he had a trucking company and had a truck wreck, and a driver wrecked one of his trucks. And I think my grandpa just wanted to help him get settled down somewhere. And my grandpa was a guy that, you know, liked to be around cattle, liked to see baby calves, and so I think my grandpa, I think my grandpa may have always wanted to do this too but knew there wasn't any money in it so he did other things (laughs) did he ever um have anything to do with it other than financially no he he you know the whole time dad was alive my grandpa probably come here maybe five or six times but he would come and you know and kind of look around and just make sure things were 
going good and you know he he was mostly the money man dad ran it and i worked for him can you tell us a little bit about where you run and what kind of cows you run well in escalante you got you got the mountains that are to the north and the west and off to the south and the east it you know it drops in elevation it drops in elevation and gets down in the red rock and the sand and so everybody here kind of summers in the mountains to the north and the and the west and then we you come to town and wean and, and then go to the go to the desert is what we call it we call it the desert it's kind of a high desert but we go to the desert for the winter which is on the hole in the rock road in garfield and kane county and we summer on the canaan mountain which is to the to the west of escalante and what kind of cows do you run Oh, a little bit of everything. <laughs> We've always had uh, always had a little bit of Brahma in these cows. The the original 400 head that we bought that come with this place that Howard Davidson had put together were you know, Brayford Beefmaster, a lot of a lot of air in the cattle and and you know the cattle that we come with were just English cows and we kind of got to watching the difference and the you know the the crossbred cattle just did really good here. Seemed like they, I mean, they just they raised good calves and they used the country really well. So that's kind of, we tried to kind of follow what he was doing with, bought some Brayford bulls and, and some Beefmaster bulls. But I've kind of tried to always have a Brayford or two around because I really like the heifers, heifers out of the Brayfords. But we have a lot of Angus influence too. There's a lot of black cows here. You got to have something to sell that's <laughs> worth some money. Something that's not just pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that brindle hide and the horns don't really pay the bills. <laughs> but if you can get it, you know, if you can get a Brayford cow, crossbred cow, and put them on a good Angus, Sim Angus bull, they, you know, they, they have really good calves. They're, they like them. That's kind of been our program here lately. What would you say the hardest part about running cattle in this area is? Dealing with the people, number one. Dealing with all the the tourists, the the BLM, the the environmentalists. Um, you know, if you didn't have to deal with the with the environmentalists and the you know the hikers and all the people that come here it would be it'd be a really nice place be a really nice ranch has it been that way since you got it in 92 or has it progressively got worse it's just gradually got worse but it really got worse when they made it a monument and it's just gotten steadily worse ever since in what ways do the people affect you well they park their car on the water and set up a purple tent and the cows stand out on the hill waiting to come to water and you know waiting for them to leave and then trailing cows they I mean we trail cows up and down the road and it just I mean it, it makes it harder to trail cows and and then you know this this country's got a lot of canyons and so I mean it's a it's a conflict when there's people cattle are going down a canyon to you know to go to water and people are coming up and they you know and they run them back and and I've had you know, three cows that I can think of run into a slot canyon that and got stuck to where we had to go get them out the one I couldn't get out and uh, got in quite a lot of trouble for the way I dealt with <laughs> taking care of her <laughs> but well, yeah, that and the you know the more people that come, the more conflicts there are. It's just I, I liked it better when we were here, pretty much alone. Yeah. Were there 
problems with that when you were in Nevada? Or was that pretty much just out there by itself? Um, when I was in Nevada, that, that ranch was owned by uh, Newmont Gold and then leased to Agribeef. So a lot of it was private. You had to deal the mine the mine had the lease on it, so you had you had the mine guys that were you know that would sometimes leave gates open or whatever, but you know for the most part it was we were out there alone they you know they they hired a cowboy that kept the cattle kind of pushed back away from the mine and away from what they were doing, and we kind of stayed away from them but it no that was back in the that was back before you seen a lot of bicyclers and backpackers and stuff like that. Do you think that there is anything that you could do or anybody else could do that could help that or or what? <laughs> I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do if you know if the BLM you know they have they have um law enforcement then and, and if they would they could you know ask people to move if they're if they're parked or camped next to a water or you know or parked in front of a load and shoot they could they could stop you know they could ask them to move or i mean there's some things that could be done but you know when you have one or two law enforcement guys on a two million acre monument it's pretty hard for him to get around to to everything yeah so i don't i don't know does that answer your question mm -hmm. i don't know what can be done i it's just getting harder to deal with all the time i think i'd need to go find an ugly ranch that <laughs> <laughs> someplace where nobody wants to go and run cattle there do you ever have any problems with vandalism or anything? Because I remember you telling me about a few different cabins and just different stuff like that that have gotten burned down on the desert and stuff like that. Has that ever affected you? We've been really lucky that way. I, I've never even had a hole shot in a trough. I, I mean... As far as I know, I mean, there could have been some stuff happen that I didn't know about, but as far as cattle getting shot or stuff burned down, I mean, I've had some people open and close some gates, um, but nothing too serious. You know, I, I've, I have had a little vandalism. I had a well where somebody had cut the control box off and took it or through it somewhere where I couldn't find I don't know it ended up costing me a new control box but I mean compared to places where they have to lock everything up it's it's not like that I can leave a generator out you know to pump water with and water pumps and for the most part people don't mess with it I've got a, a well that's got a solar panel on it that sits right off a of main road and it's been there for 10 years and nobody's ever touched it so been pretty lucky that way so dealing with the people has been the worst part would you say well, or not really that's hard that's hard but i mean like this drought we're in right now i mean that's probably by far the i worry about that more you know i mean the people you just deal with them and you don't like it, but you just deal with them. And I mean, this drought that we're in, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes you lose a lot of sleep at night wondering what to do and how you're going to make it through it. Yeah. So, and it seems like you just get to uh, get things going right and get your numbers up and then you, you'll have another drought or, you know, something that, that you can't control market will take a dive or something that's just uh makes you wonder why you do it sometimes why do you do it <laughs> well most people would say that 
because they don't know how to do anything else. But I just, I do it because it's what it's what I want to do. It's like I said, I I mean I wanted to do it. Wanted to do it since I was a little kid. I remember looking at a Western Horseman, and there was a picture of a saddle that kind of had a kind of a swell fork saddle with a high cantle and square skirts. And I ripped the page out and put it in my pocket, and I I had it for years. And I showed it to my dad, and I said, "That's the that's the kind of saddle I'm going to have." And it was a cowboy-looking saddle, and uh, soon as I was able to, I had one made like it, and that's the one that you ride now. And it looked exactly like the saddle in the picture. It's just, just something I've always wanted to do, and and you know, and I I still like it, even dealing with the dealing with the government and dealing with the people. It's, I mean, it's still a pretty good way of life. Well, just... I wouldn't trade trade it for anything else. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What would you say the the best part about living this life is? Is there one thing or? Well, not just one thing. I mean, for me, you know, and I didn't know it was going to turn out this way, but it's just been like the best part now that I'm a little older is looking back is like has been watching you and your brothers learn how to do it you know there was times when you guys were little and we were branding calves where i was wondering if we were ever going to get them done you know and thinking <laughs> man maybe i'll go to town tomorrow and buy a calf table you guys, i'm glad you didn't do that <laughs> you guys kept you know you kept roping and you kept getting better and now it's nothing to go over there and whip out a couple hundred head of calves, you know, because you guys can rope good, and I'm glad we stuck with it. And it, and it's that's been fun for me is watching you guys learn, and now we can go, you know, we can go over in the cow and we can sort some cattle, and I don't even have to say much, you know, you guys just know where to be, and it usually goes pretty smooth and. And that's been fun for me, watching you guys, um, you know, watching you guys learn and get better. And of course, that's made it a lot easier for me now that you guys are big enough to help. And and yeah, I think that's the that's the main thing. And then just you know, being able to make a living doing what you like to do. I don't think there's a lot of people that get to do that. Thanks for not buying a calf table. <laughs> we still might. You better keep roping good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why you have gray hairs now. <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory from when you first started? When you first came to the area? Well, I just remember, you know, when we first, that first winter, Joe come back. So it was me and Joe and, and Grandpa and... Me and Joe spent a lot of time together and just some of my favorite memories are just exploring this place, just me and him, you know, going and just finding the boundaries and finding the trails and, you know, somebody would say, well, have you guys been out here yet and found this trail? And if we hadn't, we would go find it. And we done a lot of exploring and seen a lot of neat country those first, the first couple of years. What would you say were some of the neatest places you explored? Um, just places like, you know, we found the old trail that goes into Fool's Canyon, and um, we'd heard about a an old wall tent that was hung up under a ledge out to King Spring, so we went and found that, and uh, 
Was it still there? It was still there. Yeah, there was an old cook stove there under a ledge and a and a wall tent hung up under the ledge and we got it out and rolled it out and it was still in perfect shape. So we rolled it back up and hung it back under the ledge and now somebody's packed it out of there. I won't say any names, but I know who it was, but they packed the stove and the really tent and everything out of there. But that was a lot of fun, looking around and learning the country and, and finding all the waters, you know, and then pushing cattle to them and, and stuff like that. And and we we packed quite a bit, you know, we'd, we'd go out and camp and, and uh, some of the first packs we threw on were pretty ugly, but we got better as we, <laughs> the more we did it, we kind of learned how to, <laughs> how to pack. Um, one of the worst wrecks I ever had with a horse was packing salt on him, and he he blew up as soon as I untracked him, and I lost the rope, and he bucked off a ledge, and man, I scattered the pack saddle for about a hundred yards down through the down across the slick rock, and and uh, the horse lived, but um, it was it was quite a wreck. Where was that at? That was on the early weed trailhead, and I was packing salt to scorpion. Later, the same horse bucked my dad off twice in one morning and collapsed his lung and broke a bunch of ribs. And I drove the horse quite a bit, and I didn't mind the horse, but that's when I was gone for those few months, and he ended up selling the horse. <laughs> so Were there people who would go out there with you when you first came to kind of show you the areas or did they just explain to you where to go no we ran with uh leo gardner um he'd been here a few years longer than we had and he he had done a lot of exploring and he he showed us around quite a bit and he was an old guy that really liked to explore and go look around and so we went with him quite a bit and he taught us a lot and then Robert Liston run cattle on that allotment all of his life and he he didn't show us a lot but he would tell us a lot and then we would go find find the the places that he had told us about so are those two guys two of the guys that you looked up to or who did you look up to as far as learning from and (laughs) here yeah, here and then just in general. <laughs> um, well, I did. I really did look up to to Leo and Robert. Um, Robert helped us. Actually, kind of worked worked for us a little bit off and on. You know, he would never take any pay, but he liked to go. And I really thought a lot of Robert and and got along with him pretty well, I think. And uh, and then McKay Bailey helped us some, um, learned learned a lot about this country from McKay. But the people that we run cattle with that I really learned to look up to was like Randy Gleave and Gary Allen. And, but those two guys are, I think, just the way they treated people and the way they treated their family and I think probably probably changed me more than anybody really looked up to them wanted to be more like them do you have any favorite memories with them uh well my favorite memory of Randy was we uh Every spring we'd gather the scorpion country and we'd take them into Dry Fork and then trail them up Dry Fork to the cat where our krells were. And every year, Randy had this same old black belly cow that you just about had to beat up through there, just slow. And uh, we are going up through there one day and he said, just jump on her and spur a little bit and see if you can make her go. And... It was me and Robbie, his boy, and 
So we were messing around and Robbie said, well, I'll get on her if, if you'll heal her for me. So I healed the cow and Robbie jumped on her and I let her up and she took a couple jumps and he fell off and we all laughed. And so then I said, well, catch her for me. I'll ride her. So he caught her and I jumped on her and he let her up and I did the same thing. I just rode her for a couple jumps and let her throw me off and we all laughed and got back on our horses and rode up through there. Well, the next year, it was the same thing. Here's this old black bolly cow on the back. And Randy just said, catch that cow. <laughs> so I got my rope and I, and I healed her and <coughs> got her down. And Randy had hands about the size of a Dutch oven lid. <laughs> and I remember he just walked up to that cow and he took two big old handfuls of hair and swung on her and said, let her up. So I let her up. And instead of doing like me and Robbie did and just riding her for a couple jumps and falling off, he rolled that cow up through Dry Fork for probably a good quarter to a half a mile. <laughs> and every time she would slow down, he would just lay the spurs in her. And I mean, he'd rear back and spur her. And she'd wring her tail and bawl, and, but she'd trot up <laughs> through the country. But the funniest part of it is those other cows would come running up to that cow wondering what in the hell was on her back. <laughs> and they were bawling and wringing their tails and bucking. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. But here's this 60-year-old guy that rode the cow up through there for half a mile. And me and Robbie rode her for about two jumps each. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Link uh, Link Bundy was working for us at the time and he was laughing so hard I thought he was going to fall off his horse but Randy was one of those guys that just there's not too many like him he just you know him I mean he was just a he's a really neat guy I think him and Gary both are some of my favorite people yeah yep they're a lot alike I think my favorite memory of Gary is just watching that little Shetland pony that Trey rode follow his mare around <laughs> all day. You know, and that was pretty good of him to to lead a kid that wasn't his. It wasn't his kid. It wasn't his grandkid. But he knew that kid wanted to go, and and instead of me staying in the back leading the kid, he said, "You know what? I'll lead the kid. You go out and." drive the cows and keep them going where they need to go and he he led that Shetland pony all day long and that says a lot for a guy a lot of guys would have just I said I ain't leading your kid you know yeah and let him stay home and he knew the kid wanted to go so he, he made sure he got to go do you have any advice for the next generation or for anybody else who would like to start getting involved in ranching or anything like that oh boy um you know i guess my advice would be if if you're like me and you wanted to be a cowboy from the time you were a little kid, just go do it, you know. There's still places around that hire cowboys, and it may not be like it used to be. It might not be where you're horseback every day, and there are still outfits like that, but a lot of them don't pay very good. But, you know, when I when I was in high school, I would have done it for free. I didn't care what it paid, and... So, I mean, my advice is just, I would never talk anybody out of doing it. Um, but if you want to do it, go do it and try to learn from everybody that you come in contact with. And even somebody that you think might not be as good as you, you can still learn little tricks from. And I think the big thing is, is you got to just kind of keep your mouth shut more and your ears open and, you know, and listen to what these old guys have to say and pay attention and and but you've just got to decide if 
you know, do I want to be a cowboy or do I want to be rich and have money? I mean, because you probably ain't going to have both. But if you've always wanted to do it, I my advice would be just to go go do it. You know, there's places you can do it. And as far as owning one, it seems like, you know, these guys come and do it for a little while and, you know, and everybody wants to own one. And when you, <clears throat> when you get to be the owner, like I am, you don't always get to do the things you like to do. <laughs> so if you like the cowboy, I would just go find you a, you know, find a good job and, and, and cowboy. That's, that's what you want to do. If your if your goal is, is to own a ranch and that's what you want to do, then I think that's possible too. But it's gonna you know it's it's gonna take a lot of hard work and you and you and you got to sacrifice a lot of stuff. You know, seems like all these young kids want to they all want a brand new truck and they want this and they want that. Well, you know you're you might can get into one of these ranches, but you're gonna have to work hard and you might not have all the new pickups and everything that you want you're just gonna have to decide what's important so i guess now i just have some random questions for you like what's the funnest thing you've ever roped the funnest yeah (laughs) and there can be a few if you can't choose just one um one that kind of stands out is uh, <clears throat> we had some cattle just below town here in the spring, and so we had our bulls turned out, and um, Robert Liston had a Corrini bull that was in with our cows, and, and he said, he told we told him about it, and he said, well, if just get him and, you know, bring him home if you would, you know, if he's not going to stay out of your cows, so, so we went down there to get him, and I was riding a mare that I called Marty that, um, she wasn't very old, but I've been healing on her a little bit, roping on her a little bit, and she was always really cowy, and I rode out there and seen this bull, and he took off, and we built to him, and he was running pretty fast, about as hard as he could go, and there's some big brush in there, and, and, uh, that bull cut right around, kind of cut right around a brush, and that mare wouldn't pull off him. She just jumped that brush, and it had to have been five or six feet tall. And she just jumped that brush and landed and stayed right in position. And <laughs> we caught the bull and got him loaded. But um, was Joe there that day? Yeah, was, I think it was me and you and Joe and, and Wyatt. Cause I remember. I remember watching that from the truck. (laughs) (laughs) I think Link Bundy was there too. I was waiting for her to cut around the other side of that brush. (laughs) I remember as soon as she jumped it, me and Wyatt looked at each other and we just started laughing so hard. (laughs) That was just fun. I mean, some of the other ones are... We uh, hauled some yearlings out to Camp Spring one time and just jumped them off the truck and me and Joe and Lee and man we <laughs> they just scattered we couldn't hold them and uh, we held the big bunch held as many as we could and had to drive them down and put them through the fence then we went back and started tracking the ones that we had lost and and uh, I found this one track and I tracked her up through the trees and for quite a ways and she was just kind of sneaking up uphill through the through the thick cedars and stuff and uh finally found her and when I did she took off and come back downhill and I built to her and um and right as she hit the road I hit the road right behind her and I caught her and Joe was down the road a ways and he heard her ball and uh he come running up there and healed her for me and we tied her down and he said I knew when I heard her ball that that was a catch (laughs) and uh so we we left her tied right there and then went and there was one more that we that we'd lost and we went and got on her tracks and um jumped her and she was kind of side healing around these kind of through some trees and 
ledges and stuff and Joe was in the front and then me and then Lee and I was riding that horse I called Willie and and we were running around that side hill going pretty fast and hit a little little chunk of slick rock and my horse all four feet went out from under him and he just lit on his side and and uh my head kind of smacked the rock when he went down but I just rode him back up and and uh Joe was in ahead of us and I could see that heifer that heifer cutting down the ridge in front of him so I dropped down and and right as she come off the ridge and hit the flat I caught her right there and uh Joe said my hell man you caught them all <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then Lee rode up and he said well I'll tell you something else he said a Phillips head is harder than a rock <laughs> I didn't think I did, but he said I smacked my head on that rock pretty hard. But anyway, we got finally got them all caught and got them put through the fence. But that was that was quite a day. It was it was fun. But man, we I'm sure I'll think of some others later. But you know, running those <clears throat> running those brown across cattle and stuff in the kind of country that we run in, um, we roped a lot of stuff back then. Would you do that on your young horses, or would you do that on anything you just happened to be on that day, or the good ones, or no. all of the above? Back then, back then, when I was younger, you just do it on. You do it on whatever you happen to be riding, and and that's the thing is, you know, you just you get out there and you just do what you got to do, and I think that's kind of where you separate the ones that are really good and the ones that are just good you know it's the guys as far as being as far as like the people or the horse the people the people because a lot of people you know like i i say i've been around some a lot of good cowboys like quite a few good cowboys that are just good all-around cowboys but i have been around a few exceptional ones too that just ain't gonna let something get away it does not matter what they're riding they're gonna you know they're gonna do everything they're gonna catch it or die trying you know that's just kind of how it is when you get in the heat of the of the moment and i'll i'll just tell you one story um me and Joe were driving up the wash one day and there's <clears throat> some cow tracks coming down the road and they come down ways and then they turned around and went back up. And so we followed them back up and we, it had been raining. So that clay up there in Little Valley was pretty deep. And uh, we got on these cow's tracks and they'd, they'd went up in these hills feeding around and <clears throat> we jumped them and they took off downhill through that clay and, and, uh, Gosh, we were gaining on them, but not not very not very fast. And and uh, <clears throat> my horse started giving out, but so did one of these cows. And one cow really started slowing down. And and uh, you know it was you're sinking a foot in that that old wet clay. And uh, besides it, then it sticks to everything and like packing a weight on your all four feet. But anyway, this cow kind of give out, and my horse was giving out, so we, I stayed with her and joe went it was and it was two pair so that the other cow and both calves took off and he had his dogs with him and and uh i could hear the dogs barking up there and and uh pretty soon i hear a cow ball and i thought well he got that one and and then kind of went quiet for a while and then i could hear the dogs again and heard a calf ball i'm like well he got two and uh he was packing two pigging strings and and so then I hear the other calf ball and and uh, a little while later I seen him he come riding towards me down the road and when the cow that I was holding up there seen him come and she took off and by then my horse had kind of caught her wind and so I run and caught her but <clears throat> when Joe got to me we got that cow tied down and he was missing one rein 
And I said, did you break your rein? He said, no, I used it to tie that other calf down. And <laughs> so I caught, out of the four, I caught one and he caught three. <laughs> and used so, his rein. <laughs> and used his rein to tie the last one down. What were some of the best horses that you remember riding? Gosh, I rode some really good ones in Nevada. I rode a horse that was called um, Feather. And about the first time they ever let me do anything besides hold the herd, they had me go in and pull some dries, and I was riding that horse. And that's when I, the first horse that I rode where I really got the feel of what one should feel like when you're working a cow. Like he would, they just couldn't get by him. And so I got to, I got to pull some dries on him and just really neat to feel how he worked and how he moved and how light he was. That's probably why they called him Feather, just really light. And uh, so he, he was a really fun horse to ride. And then I had, I had another horse called Willie that I rode out there that I named my horse Willie after. And let's see what else did I have out there. Those are the two, probably the best ones that I had. But the ones that I was really proud of are the ones that <clears throat> that I started and rode here, like the Willie horse. I I brought him here with us. He was probably a yearling when we come here, and then I broke him the next spring. And man, I that horse. I mean was the first horse I'd broke by myself and but I was really proud of him he didn't have a real great handle but you could get anything done on him and Matt I roped a lot of stuff on that horse and that horse just took a beating he I mean that horse he was tough and and he liked to rope stuff too he'd just pin his ears and run to stuff and it didn't matter what it was I mean a lot of times once he got locked on one I mean, you had to sit up and ride because if they ducked under an oak or whatever, he ducked under the oak, and you had to. You, he'd put you there if you could stay with, to stay on him. And I, he was one of my favorites. And then as time went on, and I learned how to, you know, how to ride one a little better, and how to try to make them soft, and how to, you know, make their make them move, make their shoulders move and just, you know, move them over in their ribs and stuff. Then I had some horses that, like the roan mare that I was really proud of. We had her started by some people here in town and they didn't want to give her back to us because they said she was crazy. So she'll kill somebody. And the guy says, you know, it was a guy and a woman and the woman was like, I don't even want to let you take this horse. This horse is goofy. And I took that horse the very first day, put quite a few miles on her, and then rode her up through some rough country. And, and man, that horse had watched where she put her feet and got around really good. And ended up, in the end, having a really good handle. She And she was a lot of fun to ride in a gate. She was so quick that, I mean, you could just jump way out of the gate and let a cow through and jump back and just, you know, because you rode her too, but mm-hmm. ended up doing 4-H on her. And and I told Lindsay that when she wanted to do 4-H, I said, God, Lindsay, this is way too much horse for to do 4-H on. And she just took her and did really good on her and made her look really good and She's one of my favorites, and then the Marty mare that I healed on, the one that jumped the bush, that was the horse that she, she'd been started, she had about 20 days on her when I took her, but she, that was a horse that was one of the kind of the special ones that I remember, and then I had, had some that kind of had a love-hate relationship with, <laughs> liked him in ways and hated him in others, but... There's been a few of those. Well, I think that you've answered all of the questions that <laughs> I've had, but are there any other stories or memories or anything that you feel like you want to share? Um, no, not really. It's just 
I'll just say that it's, you know, it's been here for 30 years now and, you know, and I just turned 50 and <clears throat> can kind of tell I'm slowing down a little bit. Most of the time I feel like I'm 70 instead of 50, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you guys are here to kind of help take up the slack and it's just been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a like I said before, it's been a lot of fun watching you guys grow up here and it's uh I'm just really grateful that to my dad and my grandpa that you know I got the opportunity to be here and do this. I I remember telling Joe <clears throat> that first winter that we were here and we were down there exploring and you know, and moving cattle around and, and we had turned our, we had turned our, uh, our fall pairs down there and we were weaning the calves. So don't think we put very many of them in the corral. We would just drive down there and if we seen one along the way, we'd jump out and catch it. And, uh, but I remember him telling him one day, it's like, can you believe that they pay us to do this? <laughs> like, I can't even believe that they, we can get paid and do this every day. And that's really how I felt back then. And it's like I said, I when I went to Nevada, if they just would have fed me and you know give me a place to stay, I would I I would have done it for free. I just I just uh, liked it that much, and I'm just grateful that I got the chance to come here and do this. And since Dad died, and and I. Have been running this, managing it. I've I've learned an awful lot too, and um, not so much about the cowboying part, but just trying to be a better manager and trying to make it pay. And one thing you got to do is just you got to be open-minded, and, and no matter how good you think you are, you've still got to be willing to ask questions and learn and try to improve because things are always changing and there's always stuff you can do better even if you think you're perfect you, there's still still stuff you can learn and ways that you can improve so. do you think there are things that you learn living this lifestyle that you couldn't learn anywhere else um I just think it's easier to learn it here because it's like I've always told you guys one thing you learn is not to quit because you can't quit. If you're trailing a bunch of cattle somewhere, you you keep trailing them till you till you get where you're going, whether they're going good or bad, you just stay with them and you get them there. And so I think that's one thing you learn is that you just you just don't quit and you know, and you, and you learn, you learn to work and, you know, and keep at it till it's done. And I, I don't know, I think it's probably really hard. Um, nowadays for kids, you know, other places in the cities or whatever to, to learn that where it's really easy to learn it on a ranch, you know, cause you just go out and you, you do your chores in the morning and at night and you don't do part of them, you do all of them. You know, everything has to be taken care of and fed and watered and, um, so I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah. I think that that's something that I did not appreciate as a kid was all of those different lessons, like not quitting and working hard. Like I never really appreciated that until I grew up and left but now I honestly think about it a lot so I'm very grateful for you and to both of my grandpas for <laughs> letting me be raised in this kind of lifestyle and to continue to have an interest in it so thank you thank you well that sums up episode three for us today I owe a lot to my dad and so I'm so grateful that he finally agreed to sit down with me and let me ask him a few questions. 
I also just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have tuned in and listened this far. I really appreciate it and I also appreciate your patience with my recording skills. I'm still trying to figure all of the little details out, but I'm glad we've made it this far and I can't wait to share future episodes with you. Thanks again. Thank you.